You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 17 of Aging Starts Now. I'm your host, Barbara McGinnis, and today we're talking about caregivers and taxes. Joining us today is Deborah King, Elder Care Coordinator with Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law, and Thomas Henry, Principal at Stone Rudolph Henry PLC. Welcome, Deborah. Welcome, Tom. Hello, Barbara. Hey. Hey, Barbara. So um, let's kick it off with Deborah talking about selecting a caregiver. A lot of our families need caregivers in the home. And as a care coordinator, that's part of what you do is help families find the right caregivers, right? Right, right. Um, Having a caregiver in the home allows a lot of flexibility as far as hours. Um, It can be easier on the client that's in the home because they're in their familiar surroundings Um, and we want to have a caregiver who's trained um, in physical mechanics as well as uh, maintaining the mental health and cognition of our clients. Just a good general understanding of what's one of your favorite words, the biopsychosocial aspects of aging. I don't know if that's one word or (laughs) certainly a key phrase I hear a lot. Um, So what should we be taking into consideration when hiring privately as opposed to hiring through an agency? Well, when you're hiring privately, you take on a lot of the risk of being an employer. Um, You have to screen that person and make sure it is someone who can do the job. Uh, You're looking for someone who's going to be reliable. Um, And oftentimes, of course, the best hire is going to be someone that's been referred by another person that they've worked for. And a lot of times you see the caregivers um, working for years for someone and then that person passes away or goes into a facility. And so grabbing onto someone like that can be a real gem because they know and have been trained and you have good recommendations. Um, Some of the downsides of hiring privately is you are the backup. If your person can't come in because of illness, because of weather, family issues, then um, you are the one who has to be there to take over those uh, chores, those activities. Um, uh, But on the plus side, Oftentimes, a caregiver that's hired privately can work when you need them to. They may be able to split their hours or not work the minimum that some of the in-home caregiving companies require. So there's pros and cons either way. And I think one of the pros that families may be under a, a misconception 
is they think it might be cheaper to hire, less costly to hire a private caregiver as opposed to going through an agency. And one of the reasons that that may not be true relates to the the taxation of a private, you know, the, the wages, how things are, are supposed to be managed. Um, Tom, I believe that you are a specialist in the area of income tax, not labor not labor laws, not labor taxations, all that kind of stuff. But so we'll just focus on, on the income taxation related to um, private employers. So what do you want folks to, what do you think people should know? What's the most important thing somebody should know? Well, um, probably the most important from the income tax side of the person being cared for is uh, they often want it to be to know whether or not those those expenses are going to be deductible or not, and mm-hmm. also the household employee issue comes up on how to report to um, to the care provider. So if you do use an agency, you're relieved of that first uh, the the one about reporting because they're going to do the reporting and you don't have to handle much of any of that. However, if if you hire them direct and they are your under your supervision. Actually, the IRS doesn't make this extremely clear, but if they don't hold themselves out in the community to be a provider of healthcare services uh, and in the business of it, if they're working for you and typically you're controlling their hours, paying them by the hour, they're a household employee mm-hmm. and you should be pay, reporting their income on a W-2 and withholding taxes. They do give you a little break on how to file those taxes. You don't have to go the traditional route of filing quarterly. You can do it as part of your income tax return. Mm-hmm. If they're your employee, it's a Schedule H. But Tennessee still requires unemployment to be paid. Now, on the, the part about the deduction, uh, people are often, if they're in that situation, they may have significant medical expenses. And this is definitely a significant cost. Uh, they don't have to be defined as pure uh, medical type expenses. You can actually have somebody that's helping you in the home because you're unable to do it for yourself, and that still counts as a medical expense. You can pretty much deduct uh, all those expenses, including maintenance, personal care, cooking, cleaning, if mm-hmm. that's required. I always suggest you get a doctor's to write a, a letter. It, explaining that that's needed for the person so that there's no doubt that it is medical related. There is one exception to that, and that's if those types of services are provided by family members like a spouse, child, or parent. You cannot deduct those even if you pay them unless they're licensed to provide that specific service. So the family member is kind of off limits as far as a tax deduction for most situations. Um, well, that's really interesting. You know, w- one thing that we do occasionally with families, it, there might be an adult child that maybe quit their job, their regular employment to stay at home with a parent, not a spouse, but stay home with a parent to take care of them. And we help them have an, an actual contract, a written agreement that outlining duties, outlining what they will get paid. Is that a deduction at that time? Well, not according to the IRS, because they're saying that 
for relatives, it's very specific, spouse, children, or parents. Okay. So that's, that's kind of a carve out from the general rule. Yeah. Um, so in those situations, uh, even though it could be done contractually, you, you may want to revisit how you're handling those payments as to whether or not you're creating a tax situation for the recipient and getting no benefit to the person paying. Because among family members, gifts can be made as long as they're not tied to services rendered. And, and with family issues, that gets a little uh, unclear as to what's going on in a lot of situations, whether it's being done out of the goodness of their heart or whether there's actually a, a legal obligation or an employer-employee situation. Yeah. So in our situations, there there may not be a tax benefit to the recipient of care, but there may be other corollary benefits. Um, and I explain all the time to families the difference between uh, IRS rules related to gifting versus public get benefit rules related to gifting. So those are two different sets of rules. And you have to figure out what your overall goal is as to, uh, and then you can weigh your pros and cons in those situations. So is there um, particular forms that they need to fill out? Do they need to go to, uh, is there help out there for people that are hiring private caregivers and they want to do things in a compliant manner and want to follow all the rules? Where do they go to get help? Well, um, CPA firms can uh, can help them with that. There are some bookkeeping firms can as well. Uh, but the forms that you need to fill out quarterly, you're going to have to fill out a Tennessee unemployment form. And there's mm-hmm. not a way to work that into your uh, annual income tax filing. Mm-hmm. And you're also going to need to issue a W-3 and W-2s in January to uh, whoever worked for you as an employee during the year. Now, though, then on your 1040, you can opt to use what's called Schedule H, and mm-hmm. you basically pay your your uh, withholdings, your Social Security and Medicare taxes, and your federal unemployment, not the state, uh, through that Schedule H. So you're not having to file quarterly reports throughout the year. And you can also, instead of... Me- you don't make the traditional 941 deposits. That's the quarterly uh, tax form. It's called 941. In, instead of paying those direct, you can actually include them in your personal income tax return taxes, whether you're having extra withholdings or making quarterly estimates. All that can be handled on the 1040, but there's not really a way to do the state and there's not a way to get the W-2s, W-3 filed uh, as part of the annual income tax filing. So when a person's, uh, that, that's just all like oh, way over my head. I got you right up after you said a CPA firm or a bookkeeping firm. And then it was like, whoosh, now I know I'm going to my accountant to get that done if I ever am in that situation. Um, well, one other one other option there is you can use a payroll service and take it completely off of your hands. They're going to do the quarterly filings and all that. Of course, it costs a little bit more to go that route, but they can um, 
you can actually do it online. You don't uh-huh. have to even write a check. You can have your employees paid by direct deposit. If, if someone, you know, has that inclination, but that's becoming more and more popular all the time. Well, that sounds like a good resource, doesn't it, Deborah? For some of our families, they've got their hands completely full providing these caregiving services and other things to, to be able to use an online um, pay service would be really helpful. So, Tom, what do you think, what records do you recommend families keep so they can bring it to their accountant at tax time for caregiving services? Well, Depending on how they're handling their payroll, uh, let's assume that they outsource the payroll to a to a online to a service. Then, really, they they just need to know their out of pocket costs in providing the care to uh, to the person who's filing whose returns being filed. So, it's they're going to be able to count as a medical expense the gross wages they paid. In addition to that, any taxes that come out of their pocket. So they're going to have as an employer, they'll have to match Social Security and Medicare, and that, that is in addition to the gross wages, as is state unemployment and federal unemployment. And then if, they're, you know, if there's a, a fee involved with the online, which there would be, the payroll service fee would also, uh, in my estimation, be, be part of that. So I would count that as well. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, here's a... a a little bit of a twist question, but it's one that I'm asked a lot from our families. When can someone be considered a dependent of another? So if they're providing a lot of financial assistance to their parents, when do their, can they consider their parents a dependent? Well, that gets complicated very quickly. <laughs> you thought the other was complicated. There's actually a flow chart with all these sidebars on how that happens. But uh, part of it is related to uh, their income level. And mm-hmm. Social Security typically does not count unless it becomes taxable. But typically, it's not part of it. But the one that may be harder to match is providing over half the support of that person. Because so that could be a is that what you mean? Well, I mean, unless you're, they're not extremely clear on what that exactly means, but if they live in your home, then that's a big piece of it because okay. you're providing a home for them. But if they live separately in their own home, that that's mm-hmm. going to make it more difficult unless you're paying those expenses or if there's a mortgage payment paying that. So, um, and, and it gets you know, it, it, there's a lot to that question, and I always, I always uh, I have a little book called A Quick Finder. I go through there and go down this flow chart, and I tell you, each flow chart item has a little asterisk with all these exceptions beside it, and it matters whether or not they're related to you, too. Every once in a while, they'll have someone that, you know, is not a uh, family, not related to them, but they're taking care of someone, and so that has to be, that's another issue that comes in to play so it and dependency has not been as valuable lately since the tax law changed because there are not personal exemptions anymore but there mm-hmm. are amounts of credits so it all gets a little uh difficult and also what ties in there is the deductibility of medical expenses for a dependent that might be the key thing you're after as okay. opposed to 
actually claiming the dependent because in 2018, the tax law changed to where you don't file like uh, the number of exemptions has really no bearing on taxes other than there are credits involved. You don't get a deduction for having more people in the household any longer. Wow, I'm so glad I've been answering that question right all these years. I always reply, talk to your accountant about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a much more difficult question than you think it should be, and I would agree. I never argue with people that say, you know, the tax law is too complicated. I do not disagree. And we, as CPAs, we aren't wanting it to be complicated, but we have to deal with the laws that are passed. Absolutely. Um, I really appreciate you being on the call. Uh, Before we wrap up, is there anything else that either one of you would like to um, mention? One of the questions I get quite often is uh, on long-term care Uh and how that interplays. There are two types of long-term care policies, and it's one is you get so much a day, period, and the others are reimbursement amount. Mm-hmm. So that comes into play often. Reimbursed expenses, medical expenses, can't be deducted. You don't have to count the reimbursement as income, but you can't you can't deduct them because you were reimbursed. Some policies are written a different way to where they just pay so much per day. From what we've seen, and I've not seen anything contradicting this, that's not considered reimbursement. So the expense that relates to that is often, you know, is taken as a medical expense, even though they have long-term care insurance. Well, that's that's good information. That's another one of those things that I'm going to add to my talk to your accountant about list. And we're always very happy when clients come to us with long-term care insurance because it, it does help them have options in how their care is going to be paid for and where they could possibly receive care. But um, as far as how it's taxed and how it impacts their taxes, yeah, that'll be a talk to your accountant kind of answer for that one. Well, that's it for today's episode of Aging Starts Now. I'd like to thank Tom and Deborah for joining us. For more information about elder law issues, check out our website, tn-elderlaw.com. I look forward to the next episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.